Hello, everybody, and welcome to the ANZ Agri in Focus of February 2021. My name's Mark Bennett. I'm Head of Agribusiness and Specialised Commercial at ANZ in Australia. And here today with me are Adelaide Timbrell, Madeline Swan, Bryony Callender and Michael Whitehead. And we're going to cover some of the key commodities and issues facing our economy and agribusiness today in Australia. It's a fascinating time as always, but we're just in from a big winter harvest. We have really quite buoyant commodity prices in general. We, With a return to season and um, costs reasonably well managed, um, incredibly low cost of finance, uh, we're really seeing a set of conditions come together in a positive way. And uh, with the COVID interruptions and legacy still uh, within the sector, uh, overall things couldn't be a lot better for a lot of farming. Um, there are problems, of course, in, in spots within agri due to COVID and the way that's playing out, not just locally, but globally. But we're almost thinking that, uh, well, what more could go right, but there is a bigger list of things that could go wrong, given that things are actually pretty good. I might, before going into the commodities, um, introduce Adelaide to the microphone uh, to talk through the Australian economy, uh, some of the international settings that are in place as well, and we'll then touch on some of those aspects in the way that they might impact our own industry and global trade. So for now, over to you, please, Adelaide. Hi, thank you. So I think really the bottom line when we do look at the Australian economy as a whole is that it's recovering and it's recovering really quickly. So we've seen uh, the unemployment rate come back um, to towards normal uh, over the second half of last year. It's still elevated, but it's a lot better than it was in July at 7.5, now at 6.6. We've seen economic activity come back a lot quicker than we expected. We've seen the housing market and consumption come back a lot quicker than expected as well. So when we were in the midst of the coronavirus kind of crisis, we thought that it would take a couple of years for us to get economic activity back to where it was before the pandemic. But we now believe that that could happen as early as the September quarter this year. So things are coming really, really quickly. In saying that, you know, getting back to the same amount of economic activity doesn't mean the economy is the same as it was. There's still going to be higher unemployment than usual, more policy support and more kind of economic risk than there was before the pandemic. The the full recovery to a more solid economy will take a little bit longer. So we are still seeing a lot of policy um, settings that are really accommodative uh, on the fiscal side as well as the monetary side. And for monetary policy, you know, one of the big risks of a faster than economic recovery, sorry, a faster than expected economic recovery, is that we may see uh, a little bit of pressure for the Reserve Bank to tighten its monetary policy settings before other countries, um, which would mean that our cost of borrowing would get a little bit higher compared to other countries, and this could put upward pressure on the Australian dollar. So um, we are seeing some mixed signals from the Reserve Bank at the moment. On the one hand, the governor is saying it's premature to be considering withdrawal of monetary stimulus. On the other hand, we are seeing a potential for the term funding facility. So one way that the Reserve Bank is injecting money into the economy it may expire uh, as early as June. 
which um, even with a very low cash rate, which will stay the same at 0.1 for the whole year and probably for some years after that, there is some other stuff happening in the background that's getting a little bit tighter. And what that means is that the Reserve Bank at the moment is in this bit of a tug of war between making sure we don't overheat some of the uh, economic recovery in the local economy, including things like uh, housing debt, which is going up quite rapidly, um, you know, on the back of some other more weak indicators, but also um, making sure that our Australian dollar doesn't get too high, because that can be, of course, an issue for exports. So um, between uh, commodity demand uh, across the world con continuing to be quite strong, despite some of those uh, pandemic impacts, uh, and the slower uh, US and Euro area economic recovery because they don't have COVID-19 under control, uh, like in the way that we do, we're seeing uh, a lot of pressure where um, the balance between what's happening in Australia and to the Australian dollar is really a departure from the rest of the world and that can create those currency risks on the upside. Adelaide, thanks for that. Obviously, the Australian dollar versus US dollar has a very big impact on a lot of Australian agri-exports, uh, grain, beef, and a number of others. Where do you see that going uh, coming in the coming months? So, um, based on ANZ forecast, and of course, there is some uncertainty this this outlook, we may see the Australian dollar appreciate to up to kind of around 82 cents um, USD by the end of the year, which of course could create some risks around our competitive edge when it does come to exporting products overseas. Right. Well, with things looking so good in agri overall, of course, one of the most talked about issues lately has been the concentration risk we hold to China and whether that's healthy and whether indeed there's a need to diversify into other markets. Um, Maddie, what do you make of this? Yeah, it certainly has been the talking point for many in the industry, not only uh, producers but uh, from politicians down in the past six to eight months is where else could we send our agricultural goods? Well, it's fairly... Well, we all know the story of how... Uh, important and central the Chinese market has been to Australia's growth in agricultural exports. There's no question how important it is to our long-term prosperity. But with a new trade minister coming in, um, and he, that trade minister looking to the EU and to Britain and to other markets for trade deals, including India, um, a lot of people are asking, well, where else could we send our goods if the absolute worst case happened and China no longer wanted to take them? The case of Australia's exports of barley to China has obviously been a little bit of a test case for the industry as a whole as to how we would react um, when one of our major markets uh, pulls out or at least has massively increased tariffs on it. So it was fairly clear with, with barley that because it was such a highly trade, traded and highly commoditised good, that really what happened is that just global trade flows shifted. We lost a bit of a premium market, but we picked up a new market um, in Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Thailand, and even Vietnam for Australia's barley exports. So it, things shifted around fairly quickly. That's not the case with all our commodities, unfortunately. Um, most people are concerned about commodities such as wool and uh, wool and wine, particularly. Um, with the wool market, it's an interesting one because China's actually just as reliant on us as we are on them. So if China were to pull out, yeah, of course, we would have some significant short-term supply chain issues. But at the same time, Chinese demand for wool is continuing to this day. Um, there's no sign of them pulling out and they actually need our produce to keep their manufacturing and processing industry um, 
going. So that one's a bit of a different case with wine, which is not such a highly commoditized good um, and relies heavily on brand and and reputation. Um, there is a lot of thought that that uh, China pulling out of the Australian export market might have um, quite an impact in the short term. But again, it starts looking to where else would we send those goods? And with wine, while China is a premium market, there are actually more other markets that pay a higher amount for Australian wine. That includes Hong Kong and Singapore. Maddie, and so it's not just about the price differential, though, is it? It's about the depth in the market and the the capacity of our industry to move volume to? Yeah, that's absolutely absolutely right. And I have to say, when we're looking at the prices, they're all very gen- generalised and they're not actually telling us um, what it is we're sending across. So if you look at the, the, the premium prices paid for beef, say, for China, from the Chinese market, that may be because they take a higher quality good um, than our other markets. So when we look at the premium that producers might lose in the Chinese market. It's not necessarily just about how much the Chinese are willing to pay, um, but it is also about the total global demand situation and what type of good um, the Chinese market takes from us, which may not necessarily be picked up in other markets. So that's where some of the lost premium might come in. So for the commodities that we typically see in our supply chains, uh, are there standout items or commodities that you think are more vulnerable to others? Yeah, there are certainly ones, as I, as I mentioned, the wine exports appear to be quite quite uh, vulnerable in the short term. Also, rock lobster is obviously one that's been talked about quite often in terms of China takes almost all Australia's exports of rock lobster and vice versa, almost all of Chinese imports of rock lobster come from Australia. So there is a really symbiotic relationship between Australia and, and China um, there that it tends to be that as China gets more reliant on our exports and we get more reliant on sending our exports to China, if that makes sense. Yes, it, it does. And um, I guess the other consideration is how much of our production is exported versus consumed locally. So if we look at the total impact of some of these shortfalls that we might be seeing in the absence of China in the market, we have some commodities where we might be 70 80% export, but others... Uh, we're consuming around half or more of what it is that we produce and thinking more towards uh, dairy and fresh produce, for example, compared to uh, sheep and beef. Yeah, absolutely. We often don't talk about that domestic demand anymore as being a real driver of prices, but it obviously is. And having said that, with beef and lamb being a little bit more highly um, export-focused, the current circumstances of restocking across the nation is obviously providing a bit of protection for that industry should um, the Chinese market pull out. So having said that, we're, we're hoping that the Chinese market certainly won't pull out at any time soon and it will continue to form a really important part of our industry going forward and for many decades to come. Maddie, you mentioned India as another potential market for Australian exporters to look at. What are some of the major Australian commodities which uh, are likely to find the best reception in the Indian market? Traditionally, India has been chickpeas, uh, probably unsurprisingly. That's taken a bit of a a hit in recent years, but there is a lot of potential um, buying going on in sort of lentils, chickpeas, that sort of area. Beef is obviously not such a market um, in India for for Australia, 
um, nor nor is our lamb exports um, or some of those things. But for a lot of our croppers, um, India is a very, very interesting market going forward, which is not to say that it's easy because the Indian market, many people have tried to enter for many years and it hasn't been particularly easy for them to do so. Um, mainly because of how the Indian economy is set up and trade is set up and even travel between regions is set up and a lot of uh, exporters to India have found it to date a really difficult market to get into. Maddie, in terms of finding alternate markets, if Australia's export program were to change and Australia, for example, were to be exporting slightly less of our produce to China and more to India and some of the other markets you mentioned, Singapore, perhaps the EU. Do you see that in a way changing Australia's current structure of production balance versus beef versus grain versus sheep versus dairy? Could it it have a long-term effect on domestic production? It certainly could well. As we talked about before, there could be a change in the amount of premium being received for certain goods um, and and so forth. So that essentially, if we lose a premium in a certain certain market, then that may well pull production off to another another type. So from wheat to livestock, perhaps, or vice versa. Um, so certainly, there could be long term implications. But all of these things happen relatively slowly. Coppers might move from one type of cop to another, but we're not uh, likely to see, you know half of the cropping land in Australia turn over to livestock anytime soon. So but most of those changes are gradual and incremental. So there might be a bit of volatility that comes with all that, given we enter into new markets, we don't have uh, the same pattern maybe to trade into that we've been used to seeing. And um, I guess from a year to year, you're going to not just see implications of our own trade efforts, but the domestic policies of those countries that would been uh, the global market importing goods and uh, where tariffs come and go and different uh, production patterns come and go. And and thinking about China a bit more, I mean, our industry has increased the value of its output significantly over a period of time and, and been impacted more recently by drought. But would it be fair to say that China's been more responsible for the value through price um, as opposed to an ever- bigger uptake of volume alone? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that Australia's clean and green and high-quality image has certainly been a really core part of some of our exports to China. I've got to say that it's not everything. There's a mix. Again, we're talking about highly commoditised uh, produce versus non-highly commoditised produce. So when you get towards the more niche and the more high-value, more quality goods, um, they tend to be less highly commoditised. So with wheat, for example... They will pay a premium for really high-quality wheat, but a lot of it just goes into the bulk global trade pile. So we've got to remember with China, a lot of it really is about just the relationships that we have. And Australian exporters have focused so heavily on building those relationships with Chinese importers for years and years and years and decades even that they there's an easy tendency to fall into exporting to China um, when there may be other relationships out there to discover. And that's really what this whole process is about, is about looking at, looking to see what other connections can be made into other markets. Those relationships are valuable, though, as you say, aren't they? And um, one way or another, China will dominate global consumption um, and to have an effective and uh, profitable relationship with them, whether it's as high as the current concentration or not, probably still within the best interests of our industry. 
Oh, absolutely. China is going to be an incredibly important part of global trade and Australian Australian agricultural trade for years and years and years to come. Um, and I think the current situation, while it looks disturbing for many, should probably be seen in the longer term, hopefully, as just a, a, a smaller blip in, on the screen rather than a bigger change in our trading habits. Over to you, Michael. Tell us all about the beef market in Australia right now. Thanks, Mark. The beef market in Australia and the cattle market in Australia is in a position of record highs. It's in brand new territory for this industry. Um, and what's causing that? The rain and lots of grass, the, the breaking of the drought in most parts of regional Australia and cattle production land has meant that the restockers out there, that all those cattle producers who had seen their herds go down because of lack of feed in the drought and had had to offload are continuing to rebuild and rebuild and keeping prices high. Um, what does that mean? That means the big question about as prices stay very high, will the producers sell or will they keep breeding and building their herds up? Will this mean that supplies remain tight for some time? Uh, at the same time that we see the restockers continuing to buy feedlotters, uh, we've got two other big players in the market out there. The feedlotters are seeing their economics reasonably good with a, a relatively low price of grain, so they're relatively active in the market and are continuing to build up their numbers. It is the processors who are really feeling the pinch having to pay this very high price for cattle uh, and having to try and make some kind of a margin at the other end, both on their domestic demand and on the export demand. Interesting in terms of exports, where they're going, we're likely to see those export volumes of Australian beef continue to fall. A couple of factors which are going to figure in that. One is to do with the Chinese pig herd recovering from swine fever. China has less of a demand for Australian red meat, so that goes down. Also, some of the trade issues there. Japan's gone back to being our biggest market. The Japanese and the Koreans continuing to like our grain-fed beef, whereas the American market is being challenged by the high prices for our beef. But on the other hand, they would rather have our beef or our manufacturing beef over the South and Central American equivalent. So where does it all go from here? Where do we see the Australian beef and cattle sector heading for the rest of the year? Well, if the season keeps going well and if consumption demand stays strong, then prices could stay strong for quite a while. What might make that change? It could well be when cattle producers reach an optimum level, when their paddocks of green grass are about as full of cattle as they can make them, and then demand starts to, starts to slack off at the sale yards. So we'd probably be seeing prices staying strong for at least the first half of the year and then likely to taper off to a reasonable level but certainly not to some of the drought levels in the second half of the year going forward but looking like good conditions for anyone who's selling and a bit challenging for anybody who's buying cattle going Michael is our timing good here do you reckon we've got improved season is demand stable to flagging in some markets but it's really about the restocker competition and the rebuild that's needed in our herd well ahead of consumer demand? The timing is good because, as you say, the, the restockers continue to be strong, but also that consumer demand is going to lift, particularly in some of the export markets which are recovering from COVID-hit domestic consumption. As the Chinese consumer goes back to more pork, for example, but their, their appetite will lift and there will still be demand from the Australian processors who can export to China. Same with the American consumers going back to restaurants, the Japanese, the Koreans as well. 
and and very much in Australia too. As people go back to restaurants, but keep cooking home, keep cooking at home, it will remain strong. So it is a combination of all factors uh, making things look good for the producer. And and what are our thoughts on the window for rebuild? Um, we're several million head short of our more recent peaks. Are those peaks still realistic to return to, like towards 28, 9 million head? Or is it going to take two, five, ten years? What are our, what's our thinking? Our thinking on the rebuild at the moment is this could be a decade-long rebuild. If we look at the size of the female slaughter that happened in the drought, and if we look at the amount of cattle which are being held back from the market at the moment, we calculate on ANZ modelling that uh, compared to some of the other forecasts out there, it could take quite a while to get back to the levels where the Australian rebuild has, uh, where the Australian herd has been before. That would mean ongoing tight supply for a lot of processes and tight supply for the export markets. So really taking that rebuild out to about 2029, 2030 until we get back to the levels, the highs we've seen before. And is the strength of the Australian dollar comparative to the US dollar looking to be a hiccup? I mean, we've seen it rise significantly from, I guess, the low 50s last year through to its uh, current level, but Adelaide was speaking towards 82 cents earlier. Is that a cap that uh, is going to limit prices for our producers? In terms of the impact of currency on beef exports, it really with buyers, offshore buyers, is that balance between the price and the quality, the food safety, the attractiveness of the Australian product, grass-fed or grain-fed. It's already starting to be an issue with the US where the, the Nike C or manufacturing beef is relatively expensive compared to some of the competitors. But at the same time, whether it's it's beef going into the US or China or some of the other markets, Australian beef still has that perception of quality. It still has that history as a safe product uh, unimpacted by some of the issues which have hit just about every other major beef exporting market in the world. So for a while, uh, and, and for the foreseeable future, a lot of those markets will continue to buy the Australian product uh, because of all the positives attached to it. Michael, we've just had a fantastic uh, crop uh, come off uh, throughout Australia, really, and particularly the rebounding New South Wales production was pretty exciting to see after such a poor run of seasons. Um, what do you make of prices? They've held up strong. Uh, what can we look forward to in 2021? Mark, you're absolutely right. It's been a great season of Australian producers of the different major agri-sectors, beef, sheep, uh, dairy, grain. It's got to be the grain producers who are having the best season of anyone. Uh, they're coming off the second highest crop on record, going above 31 million tonnes, it's looking like. And at the same time, exports are also going strongly as well. Uh, interesting, in all the other discussion about China and alternative markets, uh, exports to China of Australian grain, particularly wheat, have been booming. Indonesia, Vietnam and the other markets have been particularly strong. And even on the domestic side as well, uh, there may be less need for feed uh, because of the amount of grass on the ground at the moment, but still pretty strong demand in feedlots. Uh, we're going to see domestic consumption down a bit, but still pretty strong. So what are going to be some of the th things that impact price apart from the domestic factors? There are some relatively big things happening offshore which are going to make Australian grain attractive on the world market. 
One of them is what's happening in Russia and Argentina. Not great seasons in either of those places. So not only less of their grain on world markets, so more demand for Australian grain, but with Russia putting a pretty big export tax on its grain, a lot of world buyers have gone somewhere else to look for what they can procure, and Australia's been pretty high on that list. The second big thing that's been happening is to do with China. China is on a massive grain and feed buying spree at the moment, particularly buying US corn, uh, but that also has an impact across the grains and oilseed sector for demand for grains and oilseeds from a number of markets. China's doing this because it didn't have a great domestic production season itself, because it's got to feed this rapidly growing herd of pigs which are recovering from swine fever, and it is looking to build up its stocks to fill its warehouses with as much grain, uh, corn and other feeds as it can. So that's putting upward pressure there. So the, the whole issue of prices and grain prices, which had hit their second highest non-drought price ever, uh, continues to be strong. It'll be a decision for a number of growers whether they lock them in now or whether they utilise on-farm storage and make their own decisions going forward uh, about whether to seek better prices down the track in, in the coming six or 12 months from now. On the other major crops as well in Australia, despite some of the issues with barley in terms of trade over the past months, it's still seen a very good crop and it's still seen demand being strong. As Maddie talked about, while exports may be well down because of Chinese tariffs, they're continuing to be strong to new markets like Saudi Arabia as well. Where do things look like they're going forward? Well, if we look over 2021, there may be problems with the Russian and Argentine crops at the moment, but the overall production outlook is looking pretty strong. There's probably going to be relatively ample grain in the world going out uh, over the medium to longer term. So over that period, it's less likely there are going to be price shocks or sudden demands for price. So Price looking to remain strong, uh, not shoot out the lights, but remain reasonably good. Demand for the Australian product also remain good. Michael, this buying by China really surprises me, um, not to the extent that they need to feed their rebuilding uh, pig herd, but more that I really thought they were the dominant contributor to global stocks well before this. And we still seem to have a lot of stocks and a rising stocks-to-use ratio, and yet prices have increased and are set to remain strong for a long time. Is there a lot of COVID buying going on in all this that's really an aberration to what you typically see? Is that going to resettle at some point, or is it a, or are you just in a good place? In terms of the Chinese buying spree, uh, as we talked about, there, there are some factors, but there's also perhaps a big policy one in there. Absolutely. They didn't have a great domestic production season, so they need to get more feed that they didn't necessarily grow. And also, they need to feed this growing herd of pigs as well. But perhaps the biggest thing as well is that China increasingly wants to lower as much as it can its reliance on imports. And a big part of this is to fill its stocks as much as it can. So you're right. As you say, its stocks are reasonably high at the moment. But China really wants to fill its stocks to capacity. So it is, in a way, uh, ensuring itself from any supply challenges going forward, allowing its domestic uh, meat production uh, and food utilisation of imported grain to be as readily available as possible. So China is in the midst of doing that. That's likely to continue for the medium term until those stocks are filled. Do we have any insights on what's 
uh, how the quality of those stocks are holding up. I mean, there, there's a lot that that they're holding over. Surely not all all of it can survive unscathed. It's a great question, and in terms of China's stocks, you'd have to say that uh, compared to, to some other nations with storage facilities, China's reasonably good at this, and China's been doing this for a while, and they will have worked out what their requirements are, whether for soy meal, whether for corn, uh, breaking it down between the feed, the industrial usage and the food as well. And it is likely that they will strategically make sure that the stocks they import and are putting aside for some time will be able to be utilised for a while. So in terms of potential possible deterioration of quality, unlikely to be a major issue for China at the moment. All right, Bryony, the sheep markets are holding up pretty well, I'd have to say. Um, maybe not as spectacular as beef, but nonetheless been so good for so long. Are we in uh, line for anything different this year? Yeah, look, obviously we've seen some pretty favourable uh, conditions across the East Coast with La Nina coming through and um, the, the grass growing and plenty of feed around for the stocks there. So a lot of farmers looking to restock. This has uh, put an expectation from the MLA on, a flock, on the flock growing to 67.3 million this year about a 5% growth from last year, but that was off the lowest base in over 100 years. So we're slowly creeping up there uh, on the East Coast. Meanwhile, on the West Coast, we're continuing to see destock happening with the drier conditions expected to continue. It's also expected that there was about 2 million sheep transported from WA over to Eastern Australia last year. So quite significant movement of sheep there. Interestingly, the opening trade for restocker lamb was a whopping 319 cents higher in 2021 than um, where it was last year. So that uh, actually saw the restocker opening 89 cents above the trade compared to last year, where the trade lamb indicator sat 64 cents above the price of the restocker. So very big change then and really reflects the demand from producers as opposed to the processors. This is similar to what we're seeing in beef, is it not, where you've got you know low flock numbers, um, strong markets and trying to rebuild, but we're confined by the season, but also I guess the price taking that might be playing out with with farmers because whilst the restockers have got that real hunger, it's hard for a lot of farmers to go past the money in selling. Yeah, correct. And um, we're also seeing that there's potentially going to be a decline in the export value for lamb as well. Uh, ABES is expecting about a 9% drop there in the, the value as well as or in line with a 9% drop in the export volume of sheep meat. And this is partly because of last year there being a somewhat inflated demand created in China from the African swine fever and they're now having to increase their pork over there uh, and their supplies so they're not looking to import the lamb as much as they were last year. So an open question to, to that. I mean, I figured that pork in the, the Chinese diet was at a much lower price point than what you'd typically see for Australian sheep meat or beef for that matter going into China. Do we think with the improving hog numbers that there is substitution with Australian product or 
or is it really about a, a GDP recovery in China that's still going to see demand hold reasonably well for sheep meat and, and cattle coming out of Australia? Absolutely correct. The, the Chinese pig herd is not only recovering, but recovering probably far faster than a lot of the world's uh, meat and nervous thought it would. And and it is absolutely true that this will impact uh, the consumption that China has been having of alternative red meats, whether it be our beef or other markets, whether it be our sheep or other markets as well. So there's definitely going to be that substitution going back with the availability of pork going back. One saving grace is that with two factors happening at the moment, one, that the Chinese consumer has had the chance to try Australian sheep meat and Australian uh, more Australian beef, and secondly, that with the rapid recovery in the uh, Chinese domestic economy, it means that uh, a lot of consumers will have more to spend and be uh, looking to uh, indulge themselves more. That may keep the demand for both of those higher than it would have had the full recovery of pork just happened. So we're likely to see a reduction, but uh, not back down to levels where they were. With such strong demand for restocker sheep, Maddie, um, how are the merino sheep numbers holding up? Yeah, we have fairly low flock numbers for the Australia's wool clip um, at the moment, which is really constraining supply. And that is probably one of the factors which has fed into a really strong start for 2021 for most um, wool producers. Um, despite the fairly poor year we've had previously, we've kicked up about 135 cents um, in January alone um, on the um, Eastern Market Indicator. Um, and that's primarily come um, in the finer the finer microns. A lot of that's come out of demand from China um, and uh, there are rumours floating around of a, uh, a pending order from the Chinese government for new uh, uniforms, military uniforms, which would involve a large amount of uh, wool being shipped over to, to China. So that's that's been a really strong um, result so far um, for wool producers. But um, as I said, Keeping a lid on that uh, somewhat will be the lack of ability to grow our production quickly due to low flock numbers, as Bryony mentioned. Um, also a lack of shearer availability, as there seems to be, not only because of COVID, but a general generational shift away from shearing as, as a career. Um, and also the overhanging factor, which many, many in the industry will be watching, will be that on amount of uh, bales being held on farm after the poor, year, poor prices last year, um, with some in the industry putting um, that stockpile around. 350,000 bales, which really could have a really significant significant dampening on prices looking forward. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our February edition of our commodity update. Uh, I hope your season continues to be good wherever you are. And by all means, reach out to our team if you would like any more information on ANZ's offering and thoughts on our market. Goodbye for now. 